Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. I'm Megan McFarlane, and welcome to our podcast series, Catechism and Sacraments Q&A. Today's episode, we will provide some insight and thoughts on question number 10. Today on our panel, we have Jeff Peck and we have Aaron Klein. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing well. That's great. Good. We are excited to have you on the panel, and we're excited to be unpacking this question. So the 10th question in the New City Catechism is, what does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? And the answer is, fourth, that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Fifth, that we love and honor our father and our mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. In the Bible passage, this answer is based off of is Leviticus 19.3, which says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. So the first question I have for you, gentlemen, is what is some background on the Sabbath? Where does it come from? How did it play into people's lives in the Bible? And why is it so important that we uphold them? And Aaron, we'll start with you. Wow. That's a lot mixed into one question. Mm -hmm. But, you know, thinking about it, one of the things that we know is that it was God who established the Sabbath from the very beginning. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when we see that it was God who rested on the seventh day. And God says he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. I actually think it's kind of interesting that God said he made a day holy. Because when you think about just what a day is, then you think of God calling it holy because i mean what does that even mean to have a day that's holy and i think partly because our culture thinks of holy as being something that might be considered religious or morally good but when the bible calls something holy what it actually means is it's speaking of purity and righteousness and really it's to set something apart as having a different purpose Mm -hmm. so god set aside the sabbath meaning i'm calling this day holy because i desire to be set apart to be something else and and we see it mentioned again in exodus chapter 20 where god gives the commandment to remember the sabbath day and to keep it holy what's interesting is i was thinking about that is when god said to remember the sabbath day is there a part of it where the people were already keeping a Sabbath of some sort? Were they already following kind of a a pattern or rhythm and God is saying, no, I want you to remember that? Or is it that people were living in such a way where they were forgetting? I think the culture around them was not living in kind of that seven-day pattern. And so maybe there was a sense where God is saying, I want you to remember the Sabbath, meaning I want you to do something different than what you had done before. I would say regardless, what we see is that God established the Sabbath as a gift to his people. And actually, he gave this incredible gift to our entire society. I mean, you see the rhythm of sevens kind of play out over and over again throughout the Bible. I mean, every seventh day, you're supposed to rest from your labor. Every seventh year, according to Leviticus, you're supposed to let the land rest from its labor. And then every seven sevens, they declare a year of jubilee and the land is rested. It's returned to its original owner. Debts are forgiven, the poor to be taken care of. So there's like this rhythm to life that God had created. And I think is a healthy pattern by which we could follow after God. You know, one of the things that you see when you look at the Old Testament is how God called the people to live into this pattern of this working six days, resting the seventh, and then you see the way in which the people failed to remember that. You look in the Old Testament, you see in Amos and Nehemiah, like these calls to remember the Sabbath day. You look at 2 Kings 22 and like, Josiah discovers and and the law is being read and they realize we have not been following the laws of the Lord. And so they're saying, you know, we need to remember these things and we need to continue to do them once again. 
And so the reason I think it's important for us to uphold this idea of Sabbath is because ultimately it follows after the heart of God. It was God who created work. It's God who created rest. And so God has given us this pattern, this rhythm to follow after. And I think ultimately when we find our rest from our labors, we are actually finding our rest in the Lord. We say we're going to rest from our labors so that we can worship in the Lord. I think what we find is that it's a day to think differently about who we are and about the world we live in. I think having a day to look vertically, I often talk about this, a vertical lifestyle helps us to live on a horizontal. And so when we think about a vertical lifestyle of following after God in Sabbath, it helps us to better live on the horizontal. I think what we find is that the Sabbath is not simply a commandment we are bound to, but ultimately the Sabbath is a promise that has been given to us that we are actually able to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I think, what I would say about that. Awesome. Thank you. That is a lot of information. <laughs> you asked a long question. Yeah, I know. I you, you ask a question that long and <laughs> different ways to get that. But several of the things you had said, Aaron, I wanted to mention too. I think the idea that the Sabbath is a gift mm-hmm. and it, it came not as strictly a religious rite or something mm-hmm. for the Jews. It was much, it came from creation. And, and God did say to us that this day should be a day set apart from the other six and it should be treated differently and you know that idea of holiness set apart set apart from something set Mm -hmm. apart for something and setting ourselves apart from the normal routines of what a six-day week would look like this day should look different than the other days Mm -hmm. and set apart for what it's for god and it's for us and it's for our good we lose sight of that sometimes mm-hmm. and that the Jews were told to observe the Sabbath and and I don't know, did they ever keep a year of Jubilee? <laughs> you know, we don't really get any discussion on that, but but it's easy for us to think of it or to begin to think of it as just a bunch of don'ts mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, you have to do this. And I think we were going to get to some of that in, in additional questions here, but mm-hmm. um, the whole idea then of the Lord's Day and so, of course, the Sabbath yeah. was a Saturday, but ever since the resurrection, we've used the Lord's Day as our day of Sabbath, mm-hmm. as a remembrance again of the resurrection. And so, again, there's a purpose to the Sabbath that is good for us. Mm-hmm. And if we're missing that, if we think of it only as a, you can't do all these things. I know when, you know, when we were kids, maybe there were a lot of don'ts on Sunday. Yeah. You know, you can't do this and you shouldn't do that. And I read about a guy this week that was kicked out of his church because he worked for the post office. And they told him, you have to keep the post office open yeah. on Sunday. And he had to decide, do I keep my job or do I honor my church? And he decided to open the post office. And the Presbyterian church that he was a member of booted him oh, uh, for not keeping no. the Sabbath. But they, they, So there we lose sight maybe of, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man. Mm-hmm. And we puzzle over that. I think a lot about that. What does it mean it was made for me if it's a day of me focusing on God? But it's that day of taking a day off from all the other labors. Mm-hmm. I get to jump in with the Heidelberg Confession before you. Oh, nice. For it. But they say that it, I will cease from my, they use the word evil works and yield myself to the mm-hmm. Lord. That it's a day of rest, frequenting uh, the church of God, hearing his word, calling upon the Lord, contributing to the relief of the poor, which are all things that not only benefit us, but they also benefit other people. Yeah. And so that setting it apart, not just from the work of the week, mm-hmm. but also setting it for, apart for ministry to others and mercy and acts of good of yeah. good works thank you those are really good thoughts you almost oh sort of segue into question two because the next question mm. that we have is okay 
I think in today's culture, it's really easy to take one of two extremes. On the one hand, some people treat the day as a bunch of rules and things that you can't do, like you mentioned, Jeff, like don't do this, you can do this, very similar to what the Pharisees did. But on the other hand, other people want to treat the Sabbath like every other day. So how should we address the idea that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? And since you kind of already left us in there, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Can you start? Well, yeah, I'll mention that you mentioned the Pharisees in the question, and they had added so many things to Mm them, what God had asked people to do or told people to do, that you really could almost not keep it. I mean, there's almost no way you could keep it appropriately Mm -hmm. because it all became a list of all the things you can't do. You can't walk any farther than that. You You can't do this. You can't do that. And as Jesus spoke very clearly to that you know that and he's the one i think we have the quote saying that the sabbath is made for people mm-hmm. not the other way around yeah. and so his focus there was it's not emphasized just that you can't do any of these things but this is a day set apart for our good and that we need that day of worship and rest and ordinary routines though should be suspended mm-hmm. jesus didn't abolish the mm-hmm. sabbath mm-hmm. he corrected the misunderstanding or the abuse of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like in a lot of ways our culture has started to move to the point of we don't think there even needs to be a day of Sabbath rest. Uh, We've turned it into just like any other day, and in fact, not necessarily just like every other day, but actually a day that's all about me. Mm-hmm. So it isn't even that it's because on like I'm here I am on Monday and I should be at work, but I'm doing this recording right now in the mm-hmm. middle of that. But I have things I have to do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. But Sunday becomes a day that's just for me. And I might be willing, people might be willing to put in an hour at church, mm-hmm. but boy, I check that off and the rest of the day is mine. And a lot of churches have even, I think, have instituted Saturday services almost as a concession to that. But why do we have a Saturday service? Well, it seems to me, at least, that one of the big reasons is so that people can have Sunday all to themselves. Um, I had somebody real recently say, oh boy, I, how was, I said, how was your Sunday? And, and she said, well, it was really great. We went to the early service because we were home by 10 o'clock and then we have a quick brunch and it's football is the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And my husband, that's all he wants to do on is watch football all day on Sunday. Uh, we had a friend who grew up in Washington State and he said growing up, that's all Sunday was. You didn't have time to go to church because out on the uh, West Coast, yeah. football starts yeah. at nine in the morning and you've got because of the time changes or the time. Hmm. so. But I think that notion that we've turned the Sabbath into a day that's more about us yeah. than it is about God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, the, the concern mm-hmm. that I think this says. It's not just that we treat it like other days, but it's actually we worship ourselves on that day. Mm-hmm. That's why I mentioned last podcast that there's a connection here of idolatry mm-hmm. that we're actually worshiping ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I love that the podcast questions find a way to connect into one another it's really cool Aaron you were going to say something sorry no I just you know reflecting on that Jeff especially being at a church where we had a Saturday night service at one point you know I mean on the one hand for folks who maybe work on Sundays and on the other hand because we recognize right that oh yeah people have the sports and there's you know so many of the football games or soccer games and kids are traveling over the weekends for some of these tournaments and so that is certainly a part of it you know one of the things that i recognize is i kind of see how the pendulum kind of swings back and forth on that and, and jeff you were commenting about i mean i, re- I remember my parents tell me the stories about how when they were little i mean they would go to church in the morning they would come home and they would have sunday afternoon dinner right so it wasn't called lunch it was dinner and, uh, and of course, would all be pre-made pretty much much of the night before. And they would sit there and they were not allowed to go outside. They were not allowed to run through the sprinkler. They were not allowed to go for bike rides. There, it really was a whole bunch of what you couldn't do. Right. And so then they would go back on Sunday night. And 
when we grew up as a child, I mean, for us, it was maybe a little bit looser than that. We would go to church in the morning. We'd come home and have Sunday afternoon dinner. And then, you know, we might be able to do some things like, you know, we'd go on a family bike ride. But we tried to look at it, I think my parents did, as a time for us just to spend in just kind of a recognition of the day and a day of a rest from our labors, a focus on the Lord, but then to be able to spend some good time together as a family. But even we wrestled with this. I can remember the year, 85, that the Bears were in the Super Bowl. My dad and I, I mean, it was kind of a thing. We got to stay home from evening church that <laughs> night while my mom went to represent our family because, you know, this whole idea of we're going to miss Sunday night church. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we kind of joke about that in some ways. It's like, the, I think the problem with that gets into this idea of like the pharisaical view of things. Like we viewed people, especially in that day, that it's like, oh, if you went to Sunday morning church, well, you were just kind of the, okay, the everyday Christian. If you went on Sunday evenings, okay, now you were kind of separating the wheat and the chaff. And if you went on Sundays and the Wednesdays, then you were like the uber Christians. We kind of defined people based on the amount of their yeah. church attendance. But in some ways, I kind of mourn the way in which the pendulum has swung back the other way to what you were saying is now we treat it like it's just the same as any other day. Where, as you've said, it's kind of like check a I check a box, I tick that off, and now it's like, oh, I can get to what I, I want to do throughout the rest of my day. And so I kind of mourn that tension because on the one hand, I don't want to treat it like a pharisaical bunch of rules and regulations that you have to follow and, and do it all. And, and if you're not doing it right, then you're not really a Christian. But I also mourn the idea of just treating it like any other day. I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago when we lived in Holland, Michigan, where a lot of the grocery stores were closed right. on a Sunday right. morning and you couldn't go and get groceries on a Sunday. And I really do respect this. You didn't go out to eat on a Sunday because by doing so, you were forcing somebody else to have to work, have to work right? on yep, a Sunday. We had that same kind of conversation. And there is something about that because it wasn't just a matter of I'm just concerned about myself. It was that, hey, if I participate in these activities, I'm actually requiring somebody else to have to work on the Sabbath. And I don't want to cause somebody else to sin. So there's something about that that I, I do miss and I do mourn, but I also recognize like for our family, you know, it's, it's worshiping together. And even though we don't have an evening service of as much as we can, trying to spend time together as a family, going on bike rides, doing activities together as a family, knowing that it's a day set aside. What grieves me is when it's like we treat it like any other day, like, okay, I got that done so now I can watch football. I got the church done, now I can cut my grass. And, you know, we just treat it like any other day. And that's the part that I think I miss or I grieve the most is just treating it kind of like any other day. So I, I guess I'd say that I think that it's best when we follow the heart of the Sabbath, when we hold those two things in tension, like a desire to rest in a holy day that God has provided, but not looking at it as a bunch of rules yeah. and regulations where I'm ticking all the right boxes because I think the, the danger is that we think if we just tick the right boxes, then we earn God's favor. And I don't, I don't want to fall into that either. So it's trying to, for me, it's trying to hold those things in tension. But you can see the shift. I mean, especially looking, I mean, the National Football League didn't play on Sunday hmm. until 1949, which is yeah. a long time ago. But, yeah. And you said stores were closed. And I remember that same comment. Exactly. We don't go out to eat on Sunday. Not because there's anything sinful about going out to eat, but think of the people who yeah. had to work because you're going to want to go out. Yeah. And I think the other part that I've thought a lot about is what else on Sunday. So even, you know, the family time and especially what kind of conversations are you having mm -hmm. with family as you're on a bike ride or on a walk or something like that. But also set aside time acts of mercy. So, you know, yeah. visiting the mm -hmm. shut-ins, visiting people in nursing homes, some of those types of activities that help us continue to focus on bringing God's good to people. Right. Uh, but, but not in a legalistic kind of way that, well, what's wrong with you? I just told you a story about our not being able to go to church yesterday because the driveway had blown up. But my, my son and daughter-in-law said, after church, we think we'll go to eat at such and such. 
And Nancy and I thought, you know, I'd just as soon not go out to eat on Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and we couldn't go anywhere on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so that was kind of a weird, a weird event. But, you know, the other thing, and I, this isn't really in the question, but as you go to Presbytery and listen to uh, pastoral candidates get interviewed, you always ask them, do you have any, take any exceptions to mm -hmm. the Westminster Confession? And typically there's only one that they ever take exception to, and it's the statement about the Sabbath. And you know, it says in the Westminster Confession that um, it's to kept holy unto the Lord, and, but it says do not only observe a holy day, a holy rest all day from their own works and their own thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of worship, necessary duties, and mercy. And so not only is it a day to be set aside to think about and to worship, but it's also to create acts mm -hmm. of mercy. And yet this is the one that people typically say, well, I do take exception to that because I think recreation on the Sabbath is appropriate. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily condemning that, but I think we overlook then this other piece of, of the mercy sometimes. Right. That was the kind of thing that you used to see a lot as a kid, that people would be visiting other people on Sundays. Yeah. Sometimes it's family, and it's just a, just a visit with family. Yeah. But also, you know, other people who maybe are lonely or, or need somebody to care about them. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I look at that too from a perspective of a pastor. You know, I mean, on the one hand... I'm working on Sunday, right? You know, so I'm, I'm preparing for messages. We're leading yeah. on Sundays. We're often doing a lot. So we often have to say, like, I'm going to take another day during the week at some point that's going to be a day of Sabbath rest. Mm -hmm. But that's why I have to look at it as a Sunday morning, like leading worship is an act of worship for me. Preaching is an act of worship. I never even look at it as, oh, I have to go to work. You know, I look at it as even what I'm doing, I'm doing it unto the Lord and so even in what I'm doing here in my work, I'm actually worshiping. So even for me, I have to think about it through that lens because pastors might say, well, what is, you know, Sabbath rest on a day when you have responsibilities and labors? Mm -hmm. So, And I think that that's a mindset that's not just for pastors. I think that's for anyone working on ministry mm -hmm. and serving on Sunday mornings or even throughout the week. I think that's good and wise to find, even if it's not on a Sunday, find mm. a day throughout the week where you can have rest right. and you right. can set aside that day. Um, thank you all so much for your Thanks. thoughts. I, I got two more. Oh, oh, <laughs> two more. all right. Oh, all right. I, well, cool. I told you I wanted uh, to talk. He to was you. very excited. I, I found a, four <laughs> questions. And again, I think these could easily be used in a legalistic way. But it is as thinking about what should I be doing on Sunday? Is this activity a selfish indulgence? Mm. Am I doing it just as I please without any reference to God and his word? Will participation help or hinder in the delightment of the Sabbath? Mm -hmm. And am I helping others to take the Lord's Day seriously by engaging wow. in this activity? And I like that last one because it's, it's positive. Yeah. It isn't just am I not, not, but am I helping other people take it seriously? In Isaiah chapter 58 it says if you call the sabbath a delight and the lord's holy day mm -hmm. honorable and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words then you will find your joy in the lord and he goes on and says and i will cause you to ride in triumph in the mm -hmm. heights of the land the mouth of the lord has spoken but i like that emphasis again that, yeah. you know, do we delight in it and there's so many ways that especially as families, and we'll get into the next questions about family, but you can have children who don't delight in the Sabbath because it's all about what they can't do. Right. So mm -hmm. that's a, that's yeah. Thank you all so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the third question that I have, it's, so it's really interesting how we go from the first four commandments being mostly about our vertical relationship with God and then we get to the next commandments that have more to do with our horizontal relationship with others. And it starts with the fifth commandment, which talks about honoring our father and our mother. Why is this commandment important? And how does honoring our father and mother bring glory to God? And Aaron, we'll start with you. Yeah. 
Well, what's interesting is you could almost see the fifth commandment as a bridge to what happens prior and a bridge to what comes after. Because what we see is in the first commandments, God shows himself, reveals himself as our loving father. And so you think, well, no father deserves as much honor and glory as God does. And yet the Bible shows that humanity and even those who as God's chosen people, we've often failed to show that respect and that honor to God. So, you know, God has called us, he's created us, he's our loving father, yet we often don't show that kind of honor to God our Father. So in many ways, if we're not showing that kind of honor to God our Father, how are we going to show that to our earthly fathers and mothers? In fact, in Malachi 1.6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? And so, again, wherever we fail to show God the proper respect as our father, we're also not going to show proper respect to our earthly parents. And I think the same could be said that the, if you're not showing earthly respect and honor to your earthly parents, then you're not going to be able to show that to God, who is our ultimate father. And so what does it look like? I mean, I think in many ways it's about how do we speak? How do we act? What are our thoughts? You know, you think about for a, a young child, a young child, it, it might include things like listening and submitting to authority and, and heeding your parents' words. I mean, and as, as our children kind of mature and grow, you know, we want them to honor their parents with right attitudes. You know, I mean, I never have this problem. We, we have our kids and, and, we, and we want them to honor us without grumbling or complaining. You know, and I can't say that we always or they always get that right, but you're trying to say no as you honor us, as you listen to us without grumbling or complaining, well, then you're also going to be able to honor God without grumbling or complaining in the things that he's calling us to do. And I mean, Jesus often references when he spoke to the Pharisees. I mean, he he said, look, you're following the letter of the law and the way in which you're honoring them, but then you add all kinds of other things in your own traditions. And so in a way, he's saying, look, you speak with lip service, but your hearts are actually very far away from the way in which you're honoring them. And so I think, you know, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And, and it says, because this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so when we honor them in the Lord, we are also ultimately honoring God. So that's probably how I would at least initially respond to that. So I was thinking really similarly with the idea that the fifth command is in a lot of ways almost connects better hmm. to the first four than to the last five. Mm -hmm. Because there is that vertical relationship, right? It's the child to the parent, and mm -hmm. that is a, the family was established by God as the place where this is how you learn how to love God. This is how mm -hmm. you learn to be a good person, and so as parents, we have that command to teach, but they also have the command to honor and to obey, and so they're you're learning that relationship and. I mean, that is one of those challenges. I can still remember having toddlers. And, and one of the challenges is to try to help them to learn to do what you tell them to do or do what you ask them to do. Because they're, they're little rebels. I mean, that's who we are. We're born that way. Well, we, they are. And, and they don't want to follow anybody's authority but their own. And that's one of those first things they learn is to say no. And our job is to teach them without being harsh and that gets into probably another one of these questions but but to not just uh, yeah. you know to, we don't just jerk them around and yell at them right we want them though to learn that because they're going to need to learn to have a submission to all kinds of authority whether it's a teacher or whether it's the law or, or you know the, whatever else it might be and that's what they're supposed to be learning in the family yeah and so there's in order to, to even to successfully address the other commandments, that submission to authority is a huge piece of that. Mm -hmm. And how to love God. If you can't submit to your parents, you're probably not willing to submit to God. Yeah. 
and look at our society. Yeah. You know. It's funny. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think through as as the director of the preschool. You know, how often have we said to our kids, "Would you talk to your teachers like you're talking to us?" You know, and so it seems to be one of the arguments that sometimes or statements that comes out of our mouths, like, "Would you speak to your?" Hopefully, they would say, you know, they say no. If they say yes, then we have more problems. Like, yeah, I talk to them that way too. Oh, but there was a really intimidating kid in middle school when I was in middle school, who was somehow valued structure, and if the teacher wasn't providing it, Freddie was going to take charge. <laughs> Freddie was a big kid and he was pretty scary, but oh, he would no. he would get in other kids' faces and he would say, "Do you act like that at home?" Wow. And, and so typically the answer is no. And he's like, well, then don't act like that here. No, so, but, I mean, but there again, he even recognizing that simple rule that you're learning at home how to act. He also had an answer if you told him you did act like that. <laughs> he would tell you that you aren't home, don't act like that here. But, oh, but again, wow. I think that emphasis, we know that you're supposed to be learning that, that submissive attitude. Mm -hmm. And it should be in a loving family. That's ideal. But yeah. that's a huge responsibility of parenting. Next question that I have is, it's important to recognize that we live in a fallen world where due to certain circumstances, some parents are harder to honor than others. So how would you recommend navigating the way in which we honor parents that are harder to honor? And in what ways can we honor God who is the perfect father? And Jeff, we'll start with you. Oh, great. Yeah, so you, you wait for the really tough one. <laughs> um, well, but obviously there are some things that a parent might demand of a child that could literally be illegal or just downright wrong. Right. And this is saying that we honor them and respect them. And so, I mean, I would say even to the point where if a parent actually says you got to go over there and steal that out of their backyard because we want it, I could honor that by figuring out a way to buy it, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, because we submit to the discipline of a parent. That's how we honor them. We love them. We demonstrate, you know, care and, and we obey every time we can, no matter how harsh they are. And, you know, it's a little bit like pouring coals on somebody's head by, you know, if, if you just continually do the right thing, eventually they're going to you know, see that and it should have an impact, but we can still be devoted to our parents no matter how they've treated us. Mm -hmm. uh, they could have been mean and dis you know, and harsh and, and unloving and, and all the rest of that, but as we get older, as we become adults, we still are, should be honoring them by yeah. the way we, we try to look out for them, even if they grumble and don't want it, even if they curse us or something like that. It doesn't say only if they deserve yeah. it. Right. And so that's, that's our, something that we, we, and as parents, we can admit to our children, you know, sometimes we mess up. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can ask for forgiveness, but we model for them that that's the way we respond when something didn't go the way it should have. Mm -hmm. So there's not really a good excuse, I don't think, for people to say, well, I'm like, you know, I didn't have any respect for them because. Right. Right. Ultimately, the command is to obey and to respect. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because we the question that pr this came prior was, you know, like how does honoring your father and mother bring honor to the Lord? And saying, like, look, how we honor them shows how we're going to honor God. Well, boy, how much more that honoring parents who maybe are hard to honor can even bring more honor to God. You know, I mean, I think it, some of us were blessed to grow up with good and godly parents. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I mean, maybe I didn't know, I had good parents, but I probably didn't always honor them, you know, <laughs> in the way that they should have been honored. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you, if I had a hard time honoring good parents, mm -hmm. How do we? How much more would we have a difficult time honoring parents who maybe are harder to honor? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, what do you do with parents that were abusive, with parents who were alcoholics, or parents who were uh, mentally ill, or they, or they manipulated you, and they tried to work things to their own benefit? I mean, p there are people that we know who maybe had parents who abandoned them when they were little. So what, is, what does that look like to honor parents even then? And really the deeper question when you ask something like that is, what does it mean and should our parents have to even earn honor? Mm -hmm. Or do they simply deserve honor because they gave us life? Mm -hmm. uh, do they deserve it because actually we all fall short of the glory of God and none of us deserve anything that we have, but it's all the grace of God that we have what we have. And so is it really a matter that though they may not earn it and though they may not deserve it, that by honoring them, we are actually honoring Christ mm -hmm. and his grace that he shows us when we don't deserve anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think that we can show them healthy ways of honoring. And some of that is maybe the way in which we treat them could certainly show them a healthy way of honoring them. Even maybe setting healthy boundaries can sometimes be a way of showing that we love them and we honor them. I mean, you may have a parent who always lets you down and you may have a parent who is always breaking their promises to you. But if you show them love and respect and even have a conversation that maybe is saying, hey, this I was discouraged in this, but you're not but you're doing it in a loving way, I think that is still a way where you're honoring them. I mean, you may have a parent who was abusive in some way, but even in showing boundaries, we can be loving. By putting up boundaries, we're letting people know I'm not gonna be victimized again. And it's also letting them know, look, there are things that have happened that I wanna have a relationship with you, but that relationship isn't going to happen unless there is an acknowledgement of the pain and the hurt that was caused and an opportunity for reconciliation and repentance to take place. So even in setting boundaries with the way in which you love your parents, even that can be something that's honoring them. But I think ultimately it's just about listening to them. It's about talking with them with respect, talking kindly to them, talking kindly about them. I mean, even if you don't agree with everything that has happened to you, I think in the end, it's it's kind of a matter of saying that we've been called to, to take the high road in, in how we engage. You, you don't have to engage in arguments. And sometimes the best thing you might be able to do is to walk away from a situation rather than just constantly bickering and arguing. And it may not feel fair when you have to act more mature than your parents, but knowing that you'll be able to put your pillow your head in the pillow at night and, and not have any regrets. I was talking a little bit about that yesterday morning in church about, you know, being able to have grace-filled conversations that you will never have to look back on and say, I wish I had said something different or I wish I had done something different. If you think now about the way in which we honor our parents, to speak to them in such a way that even though they've hurt us, we'll never have to look back and say, I really regret responding or I always say it differently, reacting in the way that we do. Yeah. We often react in anger or react in frustration, but how do we respond in a way that is showing God's love and grace? And I think in the end, you know, we have to remember, just as we don't deserve forgiveness, but Christ showed us forgiveness, even when our parents hurt us, we can still ask for forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong, but we can also still offer forgiveness mm -hmm. when we've been hurt. I think when we do that, we are modeling Christ. Mm -hmm. So, And that answers the last part of this question that Megan asked. In what ways can we honor God, mm -hmm. who is the perfect Father? And by doing the kinds of things, Aaron, that you were just describing, we honor God, mm -hmm. our Father. And we never have a, an excuse, really, to to respond inappropriately mm. we we may and we can ask for forgiveness for that but it's our responsibility yeah. how we respond to the way somebody treats us or what they say or don't say and that's how we are then a, a picture of christ to those people yeah. and to our parents 
and especially if we're talking about parents who were in these harsh and abusive attitudes and what they need more than anything yeah. else is Christ. Mm -hmm. And if we, if they see us rejecting them, it's going to be hard for them to see how he won't also right. reject them. Right. right. Those are good thoughts. Thank you. But it is, by the way, wonderful to have had wonderful parents. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, you, know, you can still look back and say, I wasn't respectful all the time. Yeah. But I sure did have a lot of love that, yeah. that was given to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Final question that I have for this panel. So I have a lot of friends who are parents. And I often hear how discouraging it is to lead your children when they just flat out won't listen to you. <laughs> so how do you recommend parents not exasperating their children, um, which is addressed in Ephesians 6.4, as they seek to lead and instruct their children? And how do we stay grounded when our children don't honor us? How can we encourage one another as parents, leaders, and guardians in this area? And Jeff, we'll go to you. I would start by saying that you're talking about children. Mm -hmm. And the one thing we know about children is they need to grow and develop and learn. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they don't know something or aren't doing something shouldn't surprise us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we know they're also, as I said before, they're little rebels. And so it's, it's typical, that's who they are by nature, mm -hmm. that they're going to defy or to challenge or to disregard or whatever their approach might be. But I think as parents, we have to be real cautious about the way we're treating them. And I have several categories of ways that parents <laughs> exasperate children. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first one is when we don't have any rules or expectations or demands at all. Mm -hmm. Our approach is just, hey, let them grow up. They'll learn. Um, I don't have any, I don't put any demands on them. I don't expect anything from them. I don't ask them to contribute around the house. I don't ask them to have any sets of expectations or rules, no bedtimes. It's all up to them. They'll just learn and they'll be happy. And typically those children by feel unloved, they mm. feel unwanted, they don't mm. think you're, that you think they're important. Uh, and so that hands-off, completely hands-off approach is an exasperation to the child. Mm. Uh, on the complete flip side is our parents who are so stinking strict mm. that you can never live up to their expectations. That every little thing they do wrong, they get corrected for, they get chewed out for, they maybe get yelled at they get put in the corner, whatever the punishment might be. The child feels that they can never meet mm -hmm. a parent's standards. And in some cases, when they finally do begin to meet those standards, the very next thing that parent does is raise the standard yeah. to a higher level. And so the child can never measure up. And that child feels incapable of ever satisfying you. And again, it typically results in you know, frustration, yeah. they turn away from you, they quit trying to please you because they know they can't. And then in the middle somewhere is that inconsistency. So we have rules, we remind them of those rules, but when they do, when they break them, we don't yeah. do anything about it. You know, get out off of that chair now, don't, don't play on that chair, that's Aunt Millie's favorite antique chair. And they stand on the chair and we just go on about our yeah. way. So if we're going to tell them something that they should do, if we don't follow through, then we're also exasperating them because they're now they're learning that, well, I don't know what you really mean, mm -hmm. but you don't mean it until you start screaming at me maybe, mm -hmm. or until, you know, you can say this to me and you always hear those jokes. Well, wasn't that your mother just calling you? Yeah, but I wait until the fifth time because she never really means it <laughs> until the fifth time. And then you'll hear her screaming and now we'll know I need to go home. You know, but, uh, but there's that inability then to know, well, when should I respond and how should I respond? Mm -hmm. So in, in all of those cases, uh, parents are exasperating a child. Mm -hmm. They're provoking them to anger, other translations say. If Proverbs says people who don't discipline their children mm -hmm. hate their children. Mm -hmm. But again, discipline doesn't mean hitting them. It means teaching yeah. them and correcting them and helping them see the reasons. And so again, you know, why is it a big deal if you're playing on Aunt Millie's antique chair? It's just a piece of furniture. It's just an old piece of furniture. But it's, it's something that has value to her. 
Yeah. And so you're disrespecting Aunt Millie. And, you know, you need to learn to take care of things and be responsible for, and especially at somebody else's house. Yeah. And it goes back to ready. Do you act like that at home? Well, yes, I do. Well, now we're at Aunt <laughs> Millie's house. And there's a different set of standards here because yeah. we're showing respect for her. But any of those, too harsh, yeah. no rules, no follow-through, or an inconsistency is, a, is very frustrating to a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, I mean, I appreciate you know, all that you're saying. It's, it's such good things to know, especially since my children always honor me. So I, I never have to. <laughs> oh, they do? Yeah, all, always. Oh, wow. Always. <laughs> no, you know, I, but so much of what you've said really captures you know, what, what I've been thinking about when it comes to this question, you know, I mean, one of the things as I've gotten older is as I recognize that my children are going to make their own decisions. Yeah. You know, we train up a child in the way they should go. You know, we, we try to seek to give them, you know, good and wise counsel. We want them to love Jesus Christ. We want them to love others. I know I, I, I try to encourage them where it's necessary. I know I try to rebuke them if it's necessary but i never want to look at it as if my children are horses right that need to be broken like i'm going to ride my kid until he finally breaks and then he's going to act in a certain way i mean i want to crush their spirits and i don't i think that's when the bible says don't exasperate your children this is what we're talking about here and i think the way i stay grounded is by remembering that my children don't belong to me that in the end they belong to God. And I also stay grounded in knowing that, I mean, thankfully my children have made wise choices, but that may not always be the case. Mm -hmm. And knowing that even if that's the case, that is not a reflection on me. I think sometimes parents can get so worried about the choices that their children make a reflection on them. Now, that's not to say that I recognize sinful patterns in me that I may see them acting out. And so if there are things in me that I need to change in which the way I'm acting or reacting instead of responding, well, then I want to make sure that I own that and say to my children, look, what you're seeing in me is not what I would want you to see because I don't think that that's reflecting Christ. I want them to live for Christ as I want to live for Christ. But I think sometimes it's this idea of, well, we're just going to blame each other for our behavior and ultimately recognizing they're going to be the ones to make their own choices. And so I'm going to have to be able to guide them, hopefully in the way in that is they're making some of those decisions to try to come alongside of them and to try to encourage them. But know that in the end, I've got to leave them before the Lord, the Lord, and, and pray for them and know that in the end, God is going to be the one who I, I'm praying is in control of their lives that they're going to seek to honor. You know, we, we talk about in scripture, right? You know, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. And, you know, that's something that I think sometimes we just have to hold on to and cling to. You know, sometimes we treat it like it's a promise, you know, that no matter what we've done as parents, if we're training up our children in the Lord, they, you know, it's like they're never going to depart or it promises they will return. Um, I don't think it's a promise and a guarantee in that way, but I hold on to it like it is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to hold on to it like, hey, God, you can you can do this and you can, you know, take both the good training that I've given them and even some of the, the broken things that I've done. And God, you're going to shape them. So I, I try not to worry so much but to leave that before the Lord. So that would be some encouragement that I might have. But And it's important that when we're training them in the way they should go, that we recognize that it's more than simply teaching them Christian values. Hmm. Uh, I hear yeah. people a lot of times, I don't know, I raised them with Christian values, and then they just kind of left the church. Yeah. yeah. It's not Christian values that we want them. It's it's Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to teach them who Jesus is yeah. and help them to understand who what he, who he is and what he what he's trying to help us be and what he, mm-hmm. what he does for us. That he That's is our savior. And when we teach children, you know, I I kind of said it with get off of Aunt Millie's chair. It's not just a rule or that follow this rule because there's a rule. Yeah, it's there's a principle behind the rule, mm-hmm. and the principle might be in this case it's something valuable mm-hmm. to her. You're showing honor to Aunt Millie by not 
breaking that chair or standing on it. Well, I won't break it. Well, the point here is you're showing yeah. disrespect. And behind that even is you have to point them to Christ, that we do this to honor him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm supposed to be doing as your parent. I'm trying to bring honor and help you learn how to bring honor to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's not always about what you do or don't get to do. It's about, you know, are you showing that you value Jesus? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary to me as a parent when, you know, when you don't see the results that you're hoping and the children continue to, to rebel or to say no or no, yeah. I'm not going to do that or mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. Yeah. You know, Romans chapter 1 Paul makes those lists. He does it in 2 Timothy of all these yeah. bad things like gossip, slanderers, yeah. God-haters, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Yeah. People will love themselves and money. They'll be conceited, abusive, mm -hmm. and disobedient to their parents. It's a big deal. Yeah. And so as parents, I, I mean, at mm -hmm. the very least, you know, call out in the church for prayer ask for help you know people aren't going to judge you mm -hmm. because your child isn't responding appropriately but yeah. get help yeah. you know because this is what god designed the family to do is to teach children how to be a functioning member of the family of christ and mm -hmm. it's not easy yeah. but we've got to help families do that yeah and families need to be brave enough, something, to come and say, please help. Yeah. 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 They're great points. Thanks, Jeff. There's no shame in asking for help. <laughs> yeah. Because we are all struggling in some way, shape, or form in this life. And it is amazing that we have Christ as our anchor and as mm. Christ to show us that grace and mercy when we do struggle, when we do stumble and fall. There's no shame in asking for help. Gentlemen, are there any other final points before we wrap up? I think you've covered quite a bit today, that's for sure. Sweet, we did. We covered a lot of information. Before we close, Aaron, would you be willing to pray us out? Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. Uh, not only, Lord, unpacking your word as we look at the Ten Commandments, but also, Lord, our understanding of it. And we recognize there are areas that, Lord, we, are, we understand well and, and we want to grow in those things. And there's areas, Lord, where maybe we don't understand as well. And in those things, too, we know we need to grow. And so, Lord, we pray that in all of these things, is, whether it's with our own children or whether it is with you, whether it is the way in which we approach the Sabbath, Lord, we want to honor you by honoring Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that in our own lives, in our families, and in our church, we may be lifting up uh, Jesus Christ as greater, as higher, as the ultimate example of whom we should seek to be following, uh, both within the life of our family as well as in the life of our church. So, Lord, help us to commit ourselves uh, to these things in these days and weeks that are ahead. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being on the panel. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Catechism and Sacraments Q&A. Thank you for joining us today. This was such a great conversation. If those of you listening have any questions or comments, please drop them down below and contact us at the church office. Thank you so much. Goodbye.